you know, it was just, it was, and so anyway, this was at a time when Andre the Giant was out of the league and I see him at an airport. Um, first, I actually walked right by him and my brother's like, uh, you just walked by Andre the Giant. And I'm like, yeah. And I look and then there he is. He's standing up against the, um, against the thing. And, um, and then I started looking around and then I see Tito Santana and there's like crowd, a whole big crowd around him. Mean Gene Okerlund, there's a huge big crowd around them. And then um, Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy were standing and they were, and I was still kind of a believer in wrestling at the time that, you know, oh, it could be real, it could be, you know. So, you know, like they were the heels. So they were like scary. And it was weird. I went <laughs> up to them and they're like the friendliest guys are like grabbing me and like showing all strong, you know, they're like just having fun. You know, I was one of the only people by them because everybody else was by Tito Santana. And, and then, so anyway, I finally... Andre the Giant is like sitting off. Uh, um, well, we had gotten our bags, so it was outside. So he was like sitting literally all by himself, nobody around. And I'm like trying to work up the nerve to go up to him to ask for an autograph. And I start walking and I get maybe 25, 30 feet. And he just looks up, and just shakes his head, no. <laughs> oh. I am the modern So back with you, um, as always, Mike and me, I'm Jim, and we're here with your very favorite new podcast. It's been sweeping the nation. I think the Queen uh, listens to it over there. And uh, so we're back, and we got another uh, big, nice, nice big segment here for you. Tell, tell them about it, Mike. Yeah, today's show, we're going to talk John Hughes movies, specifically um, 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club. Big 16 Candles fan, and, and Jim's a big Breakfast Club fan, and we I think we like both the other, we like both those movies, we both like both of them, and then um and and then we're gonna do some re- a wrestling old school wrestling segment on the last segment of today's show, so that's gonna be a little different. We're not gonna have a commercial today because we got a big show today. It's kind of a double double episode, and um. I think I think you noticed that song coming in, Jim. That Mr. Roboto, no marmigato, Mr. Roboto. Yes. And the I chose that song because I just had a birthday, and here's what my you know when you're young, you have the cool birthdays. Um, I can tell we're getting old because here's what I did on my birthday. Me and my 12 year old, we went to uh, Perkins, and I had steak and eggs, 
And then on the, <laughs> on the drive home, we blasted Mr. Roboto, and that was my birthday. That was the whole thing. <laughs> and, um, and I was fine with it. It wasn't like in my 20s. Or, uh, I remember a long time ago, I had a birthday where I just I spent my whole birthday looking for my car because one of my friends safely parked it, and we it was like the hangover. We had to do, we were trying to track down my car the whole birthday. So, um, <laughs> so I I think I prefer this birthday. But um, yeah, that Mr. Roboto, you know, I played my favorite song, you know, on on the way home, and that got me thinking. I've invented a new game for this for the music segment. Are are you ready for it, Jim? I'm ready. Throw it at me, brother. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. It's called the Spotify game. Okay. And I'm I'm not sure, but like if you're like me, I look at my favorite artists and I see what order their songs are. You know, they put the most the most played is number one, the second is number two, and I always get pissed off because my favorite song is always at number eight, and I'm like, how do they how do they put it way down at number eight? So I was looking at uh, at sticks for because I was trying to see where Mr. Roboto came in. And that kind of gave me the genesis of this game called the Spotify game. So here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh, Styx's top four songs, Jim. And I'm, not, and I'm going to put them kind of out of order, or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll put them in order. But you have to, you have to try to put them in order from which you think oh. their most played song to, Dude, to number four. This okay. what a great idea. I can't put, oh, my God. This is a great idea. This is right up my alley, too. Okay. Okay, here's the first song. and um, I'll write him and, down. Okay, and I'm going to play a little snippet, too. I don't know if that will help you or hurt you. But this this is a little, here's a little Come Sail Away. So that's one song, and then the next. Here's the next song, a little renegade. Oh yeah, got it, got it. Okay, so that's one of the songs, and then Mr. Roboto, which we already played. That's another one. Okay, and then finally we have this one. This one's another soft one. So please believe me, my heart is in your hand. Okay, you bet. Got it. Babe, yeah. Babe from 1980. I'll even give you the year there. Okay, so that's their time. Well, there's, he had two songs called You, he had you Babe, and then he had that other one that was called uh, uh, babe, I, babe, I Want, Babe, I Need You. Well, that's this song. That's the chorus of this song. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so I've already got it. So uh, number one is going to be uh, You, Babe. Is, is my answer. Uh, number two is going to be Come Sail Away. Uh, th these last two songs are You Pick'em, but I'll go Renegade and then Roboto. 
Ooh, you did pretty good. You got two of them right. So, um, so for every number you're off, you give you so like if you pick the number one song to be number four, then you'd be off by three, so you get three points. Cool. Okay. So and you want to have the least points. So number one is Renegade. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. And then you had number two, right? Come sail away. That's what you had number two, right? Uh, no, I had come sail away as one, and I had renegade number two. Oh, okay. So you flip flop those two, which is pretty good. And then I hate that song, babe, but that came in at number three. Okay. <laughs> and then Mr. Robot, my beloved Mr. Roboto, came in at number four. That's what that's what made me think of this game. I was like, it got me so upset that it came in at number four. So I well, think you, uh, had... you know, I wasn't gonna mention this, but as long as as long as we're on this topic, I'll I'm gonna make this admission to you. You know, as we were growing up and kind of going through uh, our childhood and uh, early adulthood, on that, one of the one of the things that I picked up from you is that the way that the crowd always went with music or cars or clothes or whatever. You always went the opposite way, and you were unapologetic about it. And you would always go with the underdog, and you'd be like, "I think this is cool." And I got that. I still am like that, and I got that from you. <laughs> I swear to God, that's a true story. Well, then look where that brought us. I think that brought us to this podcast where we kind of do that. We always have the underdog. <laughs> Shows yeah, but and, I remember I did jail time. So, you're <laughs> <laughs> a true, true underdog. Yeah, yeah. You you would love the underdog, and you love you know like you you everybody you were like the um schoolhouse rock. You'd be like, hooray, I'm for the other team. That was you know kind of. <laughs> you I don't know if you remember that, but you like yeah, hooray, I'm for the other team. Yeah, we'll have to save that one when we do the schoolhouse rock episode. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jim. So should we get into today's episode? We got a double episode today. Oh god, yeah, we're wasting time. We got a lot of shit to get to, kids. All right, so let's do should we do a little John Hughes, a little 16 candles breakfast club? I think we should do that because I've been dying to do that and you you got me all prepped and excited about it. I think we should roll right to that. All right, let's see if everybody remembers what sound by Oh no more Yankee, my Wanky. The donga need food. <laughs> Hell, he's, he's three sheets to the wind. <laughs> he's drunk as a scum. Oh, why don't you shut up, Fred? Shut up, dude. Dong. Dong. Dong, Grandpa is talking to you. <laughs> Dong, where is my automobile? Automobile. Like <laughs> big leg. <laughs> Why, you little scuzzbag! Wow! What an iconic sound from that! That you know, you you find these. I don't know where you find all these little sound bites, but so iconic of the 1980s i don't think anybody our age could hear that and wonder you know like when that was a a thing in the media because it's so iconic and it's iconic i think of what our what our topic is today what do you think 
Yeah, um, we're kind of talking over some John Hughes movies here, 16 Candles and uh, Breakfast Club, mostly on this edition. And um, yeah, John Hughes was the 80s. You know, we've been doing mostly the 70s so far. And I think this is a good intro into the 80s with John Hughes, because like you said, he was iconic. He was everywhere. Um, he made the movies that we think of in the 80s for the most part. Yeah, and, you know, he was he was such a personality that, you know, when he had these movies, really, and these two movies are, are two of the very first, you know, ones he did. I think, well, they may even be the first couple movies that he did. And even then, people who worked with him during, you know, like, say, 16 Candles, said that he was already such a strong presence with a very narrow focus. He was not willing to compromise. There were some things that the the media and the public at large loved, and he just refused to go there because of this will. And I I just love reading about him in that. I read a biography about him a few years ago, and and that's what it was kind of about was that he just, even early on, he was not going to sacrifice anything. Huh. Yeah, and he, it seemed like he had that at a really young age. Um, like you said, I think The Breakfast Club was his first breakout movie, or 16 Candles, I'm sorry, was his first breakout movie in 84, and he was he had to be so young then. And um, yeah. Like you, yeah, it just really had quite a vision behind it. Oh, I remember this movie from, uh, as my uncle told me before I died, I mean, he was very old, and he, he reminded me that in when I was 14, I stood up at uh, Thanksgiving and said that 16 Candles was the funniest movie ever made, I guess. <laughs> I, guess I, just, I felt uh, everybody needed to know that on Thanksgiving for some reason. But uh, when I, when well, I was 14. Yeah, that's, that's the time of our lives where that kind of thing means the most to us. And without having seen, you know, hundreds of other movies, it, you know, you, you said probably the truth at that time. I can understand that. Yeah, so let's start talking about these two movies here. Um, I think these were the only two movies that had both Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall in them together. Yeah. And, um, and what a dynamic pair. Um, just the, the chemistry they had in 16 Candles, that was the 1984 movie. Um, and they made, they looked, uh, especially Anthony Michael Hall looked a little bit older in The Breakfast Club, I think he had. Uh, you could tell he had aged. He kind of had gone through that awkward stage a little bit. And um, yeah, but um, I, I was just such amazed by his acting job. And I guess when he was going out for the the role in Sixteen Candles, they they put out that they they want they wanted someone to come in and read to be a geek. And um, so all the all the actors came in and they all had the you know they kind of sounded like they were doing the Urkel, even though Ur Urkel wasn't out yet. But they all had the they had the funny voice, they had the taped glasses, and the you know the the tucked in shirt. And I guess he, Anthony Michael Hall, just kind of came in and played himself. And they, and John Hughes is like, well, this is our guy because he's, he's a geek, but he's not, you know, he's not trying to push it. He's not trying to do it to a, like a 1950s geek or whatever. Right. With the funny glasses and stuff, the, um, you know, so that kind of geek. And um, so I guess he just won the role that way. And um, I can't, and you know, this movie is kind of strange because it actually had teenagers play teenagers. Um, you know, you think of like 90210 where they had uh, all the teenagers had receding hairlines like Jason Priestley and Luke Luke Perry and all them, you know, where they had yeah, they, were, yeah. they were too old to play the high school students, 
but this movie really had him and i just i was just amazed at anthony michael hall like the part where he, where he slaps the two he's like take those two he's like take those ridiculous when they got the headlamps on john crier and the other kid and he's like yeah. take those off. and then he catches himself and he goes and then he like like he gets composure and stuff he just he did it like an actor in his 30s would do it you know he would always start to go a little nuts and then he would catch himself and yeah, I, know, I, I thought that was kind of the humor of the movie, and um... yeah, well, and in you know just to continue with that thought in um, in the Breakfast Club, uh, you know his oh I'm gonna sound so stupid saying this, but the the sort of the emotion and the awkward sort of uh, way he felt about himself as those guys were sitting in a circle talking about all of their, you know, little issues. I mean, I can, I can remember seeing that and I'm crying because of this guy, it was so, uh, it was so real because it, you could tell that it was so real coming out of him. I mean, this was shit that he was really dealing with in real life. And here, and, and turns out all along, John Hughes knows this. He knows he's going to get this from these actors at this time and they deliver it, you know and I'm talking about Judd Nelson I mean his didn't come off quite as genuine but it came off uh, you know absolutely as strong just not as, as genuine um the, you know hard to know with Emilio Estevez with his dad being uh, what's his name <laughs> I can't think of his name right now but Martin Sheen Martin Sheen yeah um but Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy those two guys came off pretty sincere too but what you were saying before the chemistry between him and molly ringwald was was just palpable and i think that it was a great move not having him pair up with her uh because i think it lent credibility to that you know here they are having this great emotion but they don't do what you think they're going to do is hook up they go their separate ways, and I just think that that was really an authentic way to do that. Yeah, and then um, I think of another John Hughes movie, Pretty in Pink, where he had Molly Ringwald, and then she was with John Cryer, yeah. and um, and he kind of played the Anthony Michael Hall role, and and it was really good, but it wasn't the same as like the Anthony Michael Hall uh, mashup with Molly Ringwald. I don't think and. I think I that movie, no, I yeah. yeah, I think that movie was a little less than these two. Um, it had its moments, but it, it was um, <laughs> it was a little formulaic in places where I don't think it got out there. Like these movies just came off as like uh, just so realistic in their portrayal. I thought, like, I'm thinking of Sixteen Candles, the school bus. I mean, just all the kids screaming and the <laughs> the nerdy kids with the jocks on their heads, and it just reminded me of every day on the school bus. And it was just... <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember those days, and I don't think, uh, as a tail end to your comment, I don't think that Pretty in Pink, how you said that it 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 wasn't quite as you know authentic or whatever, and I agree with that, but it doesn't mean that the performances were, were any less believable. They were. It just wasn't, it didn't click like uh, Breakfast Club did. And, and I'll tell you one more thing about Breakfast Club is that, you know, when you start watching that film and it's all kind of funny with there's you know, they're all sitting there and they're screwing around with the principal. And uh, when what's his name walks in and he taps this and taps that and spins this and taps that and puts some of it in his pocket. 
Okay, so that's all funny and we're getting into it. But when they get into that, those scenes where they're all, again, sitting in a circle and finally sort of connecting as human beings, realizing, okay, uh, I'm on the top end of the spectrum. This person is on the bottom end of the spectrum, but at least we're on the same spectrum. And it just, that's when you really started to feel like this was family. Uh, I don't know if you felt like that, but I sure did. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I want to float something by you. Do you think like uh, Breakfast Club would be the perfect movie to translate into a play? Because it's all in one room. I mean, the whole 90% of it takes place in the one room. I think, think that would be, I, I think that would be ideal. Better, yeah, than, better than Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just so it would add Jurassic Park out a little bit easier with a little bit, maybe, maybe less of a budget, you know, with Breakfast Club turning that into a play, but yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, to buy all those beakers and shit. No, I, I agree. I mean, that's a great idea. I think that would translate uh, amazingly on, on a, on a scale like that. I think that would be a great thing to, to try. Yeah, I, was thinking, I first had that idea back in the 1990s, and I thought they could have had, like, Marilyn Manson play the Judd Nelson part, you know, because... Um, yeah. So I don't know who would play it now in these days, but, yeah, I'd like to see him kind of modernize it and make turn it into a play, um, just because it's all in that one room. And um, I really love the janitor in Breakfast Club because he was the... Yeah. I don't know. What role do you think he played? He kind of played like the society. He played like the older guy that was past his prime, and they're teasing him. But he's like, "Hey, hey, you little shits! I see all the notes you guys write, and exactly, I know everything and about you guys." Appealed, yeah, he appealed to the Judd Nelson character because you know, Judd, as he was saying that, Judd Nelson was like, "Oh my God, what am I missing?" You know, he was kind of, and I think again, um, it follows the same theme that. I'm a janitor and people look at me as a janitor and I'm, uh, you know, I kind of have all these complexity, you know, feelings and, and uh, moods and all that stuff, but I'm relatable if you take the time to relate with me. It, and it follows the same theme as all these kids had. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it connected with Judd Nelson, because I think he kind of seen his, his future might be going in that direction. And yes. um, <laughs> And that's the thing with the, these John Hughes movies. Like, I mean, in Breakfast Club, he spilled it out really good. You had the jock, you had the pretty girl, you had the the burnout, you know, Judd Nelson, and then you had the brain with the geek again with Anthony Michael Hall, and then Ali Sheedy. What was she? She was kind of like the the creepy girl or whatever. Yeah, yeah, creepy girl. So he drew them out, you know, pretty much in black and white there. And then, like in the Breakfast Club too, it was like, I mean, Anthony Michael Hall. He, he calls uh, the first. He tells his friends that Molly Ringwald's a fully aged sophomore meat. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was all about the seniors, and that's my favorite part in the Breakfast Club. Nothing's made me laugh harder in a movie is when um is when the the jock the senior jocks uh, put those the nerds into the trunk of the car, and then they politely drive them home, and he carries them out of the car, and the other one slides over so he can politely be picked up and just put back on the curb his front curb of his house and it's like uh, you just really, you just see the difference between the seniors and the freshmen and yeah um, she calls him farmer ted and then i went up to look because I, I didn't know if she called him farmer because i didn't know if that was a freshman nickname for being a freshman or i didn't know if it was being out you know like you're being way out far out in the suburbs no. and I, 
and I looked it up on the internet, and there were some people arguing about it on a, a thread, and then the thread died in like 2004. So <laughs> I, it, it just kind of ran into a dead end, and I couldn't figure out what it meant. But I think it must mean one of the. I think she just kind of teased him for being a freshman and calls him Farmer Ted. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and you know that that is you know that's sort of the the John Hughes uh, one of one of the things that you know moves with him from movie to movie to movie. Uh, there's always this part of somebody's personality that is just not quite developed or damaged or or whatever it is, and he's trying to tell uh, you know us as viewers that despite those things, we're all we all have this sort of this humanity, and it would be a lot better world if we all connected with that as opposed to get hung up on the bad things. That's the, kind of what John Hughes made his movies to to tell us. Yeah, you're right. She really was good at the characters that weren't fully developed. and But that's how we are. And we go through life and they all have to go through that way. And um, and I really, in 16 Candles, I just, I think he did a great job directing the sight gigs. Like when Long Duck Dong's drunkenly driving the car around and they still have the drive up, uh, the tray from the drive up restaurants hanging on his car. Yeah. And he's driving about 70 with it on the car. And um. Uh, just, no more Yankee, no Yankee. That I'm gonna eat food. Yeah, and every time the character's introduced, you hear that gong, and it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's just bringing me back to these days watching these movies. And I, I'm like you sometimes. I always think, man, I'm jealous that person has never, you know, seen this before. It just makes me jealous. Yeah, yeah cause because of what they're the... in for, you know, the treat they're in for. Yeah, and um. Yeah, even my daughter watched Breakfast Club, and she was, um, she was probably ten at the time, and she she got most. She was like watching it. I mean, she was enthralled with it, and like the part when they're all high, she was just kind of giggling. She thought they're just being silly. She didn't understand. Okay, but um, say, how old is your daughter? Again? She's twelve now. She's probably ten when she's watching it, and uh, you know, she's watching the TV, so there's no swearing, and um, yeah. and you know, like like I said, most of the stuff went over her head, so. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, was... can... oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, he carries that theme, and the, even even into the, uh, you know, the 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 later '80s when he's making things like uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, you have this this character, John Candy, and again, you know, he's using uh, not only the same character motifs, but in a lot of cases, the same actors from movie to movie to movie, but. We, you know, we find out midway through that, you know, that um, uh, uh, John Candy on the surface has all these funny little foibles, but we find out, uh, you know, sort of at the end that there's a lot more to that. And, you know, I really think that the thing that John Hughes was trying to, trying to communicate is, uh, you know, decency to your fellow human, because we all have shit that isn't pretty uh, attached to us. And I, I think he, he did that for us teenagers with those other movies, uh, in addition to just saying, relax, you're normal. Other people have this stuff too. You can find commonalities. You can laugh about it. Uh, the, the only problem was that uh, people our age, they didn't get it. They didn't get that part of the message. Yeah, yeah. Probably we were probably too close to the age to get the the message exactly as he was giving it. Probably, yeah. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I, at the time, I just thought the movies were really funny and I probably, the message just probably went over my head a little bit, but. Um... Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing though, I was noticing, I, I was kind of rewatching Breakfast Club and he, like they're supposed to write a thousand word essay and then Anthony Michael Hall's voice kind of reads over it. Mm-hmm. You know, to end the movie, and that's where the movie ends. And that, I'm like, that's no thousand words. It was like four sentences. It's just like we all <laughs> found ourselves. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but then, so that was kind of funny. But um, and it was kind of a it was it was sort of a deeper uh, essay than probably the principal thought he had coming to him because he really wrote something that somebody twice his age would have probably you know written. But, you know, still, as teenagers, we don't know that. We just kind of, you know, you know, and all the stuff that they did in that movie about these actors, they all sort of had their, uh, they were asked about, you know, sort of what's your favorite uh, part of the movie or what was, you know, what, what did you enjoy the most? And everybody said that working with Hughes was the best thing because they were able to interject pieces and parts of their own personality and he never turned them down because after all, that's what he is trying to communicate anyway. And so people love working with him because of that. Yeah. And it's really funny. Um, all those actors we've mentioned, um, what kind of careers did they have after John Hughes? Because not yeah. much, not much. I mean, great point. I've been, yeah. I've been I've been waiting for Quentin Tarantino to bring back Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald, you know, or something. But yeah, he'd, have, he'd be the only great. one that could bring him back at this point. They're so far gone. But <laughs> great point. And, and, and it's too bad that we don't we didn't know that that was going to happen back then because it would even probably be more credible to know that he didn't use big stars for, the, for those parts. That's an absolutely uh, great uh, observation. I didn't even. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because it's, they were such big stars. It's just amazing that they didn't go on. Um, I know, like, Anthony Michael Hall had that Johnny B. Good where he was a high school quarterback or whatever. No, that was horrible. It was horrible. And I think that maybe that killed his career at the time or broke his momentum. Yeah. Or he turned out to be kind of like a Crispin Glover type of guy. And, you know, people would – you know, he had such great success with these movies that he ended up walking into these uh, casting calls and, and blowing it because he sort of walked in with the, this, uh, you know, imaginary self-imposed clout that didn't belong, you know. And, you know, and here John Hughes was saying, you know, I, I interviewed Nicholas Cage for these parts and uh, John Cusack for some of these parts and all these people. And he said, I wanted these guys uh, because of how believable they were. And here we are all these years later, and they've really not done a whole lot since Ali Sheedy, you know, nothing really. Um, Judd Nelson was a basket case, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of a, uh, uh, what's the guy that played um, Sherlock Holmes that was in and out of jail a million times for drugs? Oh, Martin Downey Jr.? Or not Martin Downey uh, Jr.? Robert Downey? <laughs> Junior, yeah, he was kind of a, a that kind of a character, or a, uh, you know, a Sheen, what's uh, Charlie Sheen type character uh, that didn't quite resurrect his career like those other two guys did. Yeah, and then what about this? Uh, 
Jake Ryan in 16 Candles. Um, I think when I was a kid, I thought it was Matt Dillon, but it was uh, it was Michael Schofling, and I he's like was a nothing again, which was kind of a surprise because he was kind of the the male, you know, he was the love interest in 16 Candles. In 16 Candles. Yeah, he's the one that I thought he was Matt Dillon back at the time because he looked so much. I thought he looked like him, but yeah, yeah, I I I actually thought until this very moment that that's who that was. <laughs> Good, I'm not the only one. Yeah, so. no, no, I honest to God, I thought that. And Dylan has a brother, so you never know is one one or is one the other because they both are, you know, actors. Yeah, weird. His brother's Johnny Drama. Yeah, and <laughs> what, what, are the, what are the names again? There's, there's Matt. There's a uh, Dylan. There's oh, Kevin. Kevin. It's a Kevin, Kevin Dylan. Yeah, he played Johnny Drama most famously, and he was. He was the guy that kind of went a little nutso in Platoon when he was really young in that role. And then and then um, what was funny in Entourage is he played a famous actor's older brother, which is what he was in real life. He was Matt Dillon's older brother in real life. <laughs> in real life, he was... Wait a minute. You're, you're blowing my mind here. Uh, who... Are you talking about Kevin Dillon? Kevin Dillon was Matt Dillon's older brother. Okay, right. so, yeah, okay. so yeah, Matt no. Matt Dillon was really famous. So then Kevin Dillon in Entourage, he played the older brother of Adrian Gunier, who was the star. So he played the star's older brother, which was really what he was in real life because he was Got Matt it. Dillon. Okay, so it was kind of yeah. a it was kind of a comic on himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, kind of a, yeah, kind of a group, right? Built-in group. Yeah. Um, I think if you if you are are um, if you're our age out there and you're listening to this, I think there's about a two percent chance that you haven't seen one or both of these movies. However, if you haven't seen them in a, in a while, you know th- there's plenty of places to get them. Go get it and watch it and review it and kind of sort of you know relive this this teenage angst and and uh, you know complexity to to being so awkward back then and i think you'll thank us because they're just really that good and perceptive about what the issues were for us back then and they really hold i mean i just watched them both and they really hold up um the, the dancing dancing and uh is a little corny in breakfast club and then uh you know like, yeah. like, i don't think long duck dong would fly today as a character he would be you know racially insensitive but um Probably, yep. but I mean, the movies really do a good job of holding up. I was surprised. I was, I was waiting to goof on them more, and um, the humor still held hold up. And um, it does, yeah. it does. You're absolutely right. I think he was John Hughes was careful to make sure that it did. Yep. So, what else? We got anything else we want to talk about? Um, um oh, here, here's something. Okay, one of these, one of these movies. Well, you'll probably know this. One of them got an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes and the other one got an 83%. Which one is which one do you think got the 89? Oh, between the two of them? Yeah. I would think I'm only going by what I think, but I think Breakfast Club was the better movie in my opinion, so I'm going to say that. Yep, that got the 89. See, I like 16 Candles a little better and that got the 83%. And then looking at um John Hughes and his highest rating was and I think we decided we're going to do this for Thanksgiving is planes, trains, and automobile. Mm-hmm. That got a, that got a 91%. But these movies both, and I'm glad to see this, they both scored higher than Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 
which that got an 81%. And I do like, I like these two movies better than Ferris Bueller's Day Off, even though I think Ferris, I can't say it. I think Ferris, (laughs) Ferris might be his most famous movie ever. Do you agree or disagree? Um, uh, well, how about the uh, Christmas Vacation or the um, not not Christmas, but the uh, Home Alone movies? That would probably be the best selling Home Alone one. Yeah, they're not, they're not listing those in 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 um, Rotten Tomatoes here as him because I'm pulling up as they got. Oh, those were anyway. I think. Yeah, they got Uncle Buck, and then they have a, a movie called Curly Sue where it looks like it. Oh, you know, got, yep. Steve Martin. You know, uh, well, it was with John Hughes, but he'd only got thirteen percent, so it must have just been a bomb. Yeah, it was Steve Martin, and he and he decided that he 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 worked in a, like a social justice office, and there was this little orphan any type red haired curly girl, curly haired girl, and he couldn't stand to see her go, so he adopts her, and the and the uh, lack of hilarity ensues. <laughs> a lack of an <laughs> yeah. Um Well, I would say probably Ferris Bueller. If, if, of course, because even if he did do the Home Alone movies, those would have been 1990s. Um, I thought Uncle Buck was was really an underrated film. I thought that was a really funny movie. But you're right. I think I think probably uh, even though it's, it's like you, it's not my favorite. I think that the Ferris Bueller would probably be his his bestseller. Yeah, I think that that'll be you know that's his biggest. But I like I said, I like these two movies better: Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. He had Weird Science in the middle, and that didn't get very good ratings. But um, yeah. you know, that's a pretty beloved movie. I think you know, I think everybody kind of isn't that it. another uh, Anthony Michael Hall joint? Yep, it's uh, Kelly, Kelly LeBrock, uh, Anthony Michael Hall, and Ian Mike Mitchell Smith. That must have been the other guy. Mm, okay yeah yeah it was i remember that uh curly dark hair skinny tall yep yep i remember that okay so do we have anything else to add to these movies um, um and i think about paris hilton she was in both of these movies wasn't she paris hilton i'm kidding <laughs> that was for comic uh, relief maybe you can add like a groan moaning and groaning and nobody clapping for it <laughs> yeah i can do that <laughs> Okay, so I think we covered the 80s movies pretty good, Jim. Let's talk some 70s wrestling now. Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, they are Hawk and Animal, the Legion of Doom. I'm certain you heard the comments earlier on from the men that are going to be challenging you tonight for these titles. Power and glory, Paul Roma and the mighty Hercules Animal. That's right, Gene. Hawk and I are back there watching Mother, and we can't help over here, you two little geeks. You tell us we don't deserve to be champions. You tell us you're going to show us where the power and who is the glory. How do you think we got to be world champions? By beating nobodies? We've beaten the best that the World Wrestling Federation has to offer. And we're going to be champions for a long, long time. Right, Hawk? What about it, Hawk? Swelling of the fluid sac surrounding the brain. Contusions. Ear bleeding. These are the things that our dreams are made of power and glory, and you'll soon to be renamed Sour and Glory, because when we get done with you, your mother won't accept the looks that you have been thrown about the ring from one end to the other, right here in London.
just heard three memorable voices from old time wrestling. And it's really sad when we first uh, thought up this wrestling segment, we thought we'd be doing a real high energy, um, you know, wrestling segment. And it's kind of turned into a little bit of a memorial segment with uh, animal just yeah. passes. Animal just passed away prior to this recording, and uh, Mean Gene Oakland passed away in 2019, and uh, I didn't know that Hawk was only 46 when he passed away over a decade ago. That's way too young, and Animal was only 60. Uh, what do you guys, that's pretty crazy. What do you guys think about that? Kurt? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's sad. It's, um, it, you know, the Road Warriors were such a... Um, huh. Genre setting uh, tag team, and you know, I remember when they first came to the AWA, it was like it was like scary to even watch them because it was like you know, AWA <laughs> was pretty regimented with their rules and stuff, and then these guys came in and just you know destroyed everything. You're um, right. Yeah, they were like from a different genre. They're like like from the Road Warriors movie or whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was. You know, what it was for me is that when we were, we grew up in the perfect time to, to uh, be fans of this uh, sport or whatever we want to call it, because, you know, uh, Saturday mornings you got up and you watched what you watched, uh, Challenge of the Super Friends, the Big Blue Marble, whatever, you know, like that. And then on Sunday morning, nothing but church shows, nothing but church (laughs) until, uh, all-star wrestling started and you know and it was that that mean gene okerland that just iconic (laughs) voice talk about a perfect voice you know and you get these guys and like the high flyers and all those guys and when it really changed for me was when you know the awa started to sort of merge and and they started to you know wrestle outside of that league and then everything just changed and it, it just grew into what it is now. Yeah. And I think that change was forced on them because of like, and you know, this is the perfect 70s versus the 80s subject because 70s, it was all regional wrestling. And yeah. In ni- 1982, Vince McMahon bought it from his father and he forced all his father's friends out and he just made it, you know, basically mm-hmm. turned wrestling into Amazon where you could go to one place to get all your wrestlers. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's when it changed and that went from a mom and pop operation to uh you know like i said like amazon or walmart or whatever yeah i remember i hated i hated it as a kid when my mom would get it in her mind that we had to go to church it would happen a couple <laughs> a couple times every other month or something like that like, oh no wrestling's on at 10 i gotta, we gotta yeah. <laughs> and like it was it was a special day because you know Vern Gagne would come out and he was like 92 and he was out there uh you know, against Jesse the body or somebody. And, yeah. You know, they do that one circle around the ring and they always did that, that the same initial clutch, you know, where they would grab each other on the shoulder. Yep. And, and then, yeah. And then get like a standing arm bar and they'd stand there for like a minute and a half with the standing <laughs> yeah. arm bar. And then, yeah. <laughs> it was all so, so scripted and, and, oh man, it's just funny that we, there was like Nick Bockwinkel. I That was another name I just yeah. remembered. Yeah, oh, he, man. he just passed away too recently, you know, in the past. Oh, he did. Oh. Four or five years, three, four years, something like that. Yeah, uh. he, he was the champion on the AWA forever, and he, like, had no muscle tone. He was just, like, he looked like a flubby. He, yeah, you know, he, did. 
<laughs> he had the blonde hair, you know, before yep. before Hulk Hogan came in. But yeah, other than that, yeah, nothing. <laughs> right, right. And he was like a gentlemanly, well spoken, but you know, just a, a yeah. He was a, a business guy. Cheater, that, you know, and it, I remember, you know, anything's legal if the ref doesn't see it. Was his, yeah, you know, which is kind of timely to you know a lot of events nowadays. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was a uh, he was the champ for. I mean, God, it was years and years after. And you know, who was his tag team partner? I can't remember who he was. Uh, when they, when they would uh, they would do tag team, he always had a partner. I can't remember who that was. Um, uh, yeah, uh, he had was Ray Stevens with the Ray the Crippler Stevens. Sometimes and, I, I think so. Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Uh, how about uh, the Claw? What was his name Baron von Raschka? Yeah. Was he the Claw? Yep. <laughs> wow! Just like it's all of a sudden, it's nineteen seventy seven again. Yeah, and he used to he used to drive the monorail at the Minnesota Zoo. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like you know, all those old wrestlers like Mad Dog Bashan, Baron Van Rasky, they they lived they were in this section when it was all alcoholics, so they they <laughs> lived they lived forever. They got really old, but like the wrestlers from the eighties, there's been a rash like we've been talking about. They've mm-hmm. all died the steroid era and the drug. You know, they probably had enough money to do drugs. They've yeah. all died. They've all died young. It's, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, most wrestlers now don't really die very nice deaths. It's murder. That's, it's drugs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, or falling from dimension. the yeah falling yeah. from the the rafters of the ceiling because your your rope right. breaks or whatever right. the Owen Hart guy. Uh, and, and when you're talking alcoholic uh, wrestlers, you got to remember the Crusher from Milwaukee. Yep, the Crusher. He was, he was incredible. He was my I think he was my favorite wrestler back in the days. Oh, the the crusher was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he got all his muscle from his wrestling know-how from throwing drunks out of his dad's bar, <laughs> and carrying kegs back and forth for his dad. But he was like a like you know a legitimate strong man and everything like that. But he just you know he wasn't wasn't an athlete, wasn't you know a wrestler. He just was a personality, and it worked out for quite and a long he, career. And he wore his tidy whiteies or not whiteies, but he wore his. <laughs> Until his seventies, yeah. he's wearing his little speedo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those guys, they're all—they're also funny because you know they—they they get in the ring with the um, feathered back hair and take the kimono off or whatever they had, and here they'd have like those. One of those little pairs of swimming trunks that we get at Roosevelt Middle School. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And when, when you forgot yeah. your trunks, you had to wear those speedos. Oh, I hated oh. that. I hated that because you know then uh, Martha Standard would walk in, you know, across the pool or whatever area over there, and it, and then you're trying to hide yourself for us. Yeah, forty minutes. I shouldn't have went there at that. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> so I was gonna say, especially since they never heated the pool, that was really. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was. I hated swimming. I hated it. But anyway. So we're talking a lot about the AWA here, and I realize all our listeners are from different parts of the country, like New Zealand. We are always talking about them guys. But um, the AWA really transferred huge into the WWF. I mean, he had Mean Gene Okerlund, Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, who Jesse the Body. Jesse the Body. Yep. Adrian, <laughs> Adrian Adonis. Adonis. Uh, Andre the Giant. Um, yep. God, those bills are big, huge names and if they're not big huge names as wrestlers they're big huge names as 
celebrities, um, you know, personalities or governors. Yeah, governors. <laughs> uh, uh, Jumping Jimmy Brunzel made it big yes. WWF. Uh, now he was with he, Greg Gagne, wasn't he? Well, he was a high flyer in AWA with Greg Gagne, and then uh, WWF. He was uh, the Killer Bees with B. Brian Blair. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I see. I didn't watch it when I went there that way. Yeah, yeah no, that's just... kind of the end of it for me. Is like when that, mm. like after yeah. first couple WrestleManias, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think WrestleMania three was the pinnacle, and then after that, I think it was just kind of downhill. From it there. just got too much, and it got you know, it was just chaos and acrobatics in the ring, you know. Or I wanted the story, and I wanted the, you know, I don't know. Exactly, and I think I what happened was the there opposite. was I thought it was everybody had a microphone in their hand, and they would talk for twenty minutes, <laughs> and then they'd go <laughs> wrestle for like two minutes, and then talk for another twenty minutes. I was like, you yeah, know, I... it's the opposite of the AWA where it was all they tried to do it like a real sport, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they had and, rankings. I remember the newspaper would have rankings, like of the of the wrestlers. Yeah. And, oh, yo! I remember that. Number three now, great. Yeah. a couple more, and you know, <laughs> you know and and these these guys that that manage these these cash cows, you know, they got in the in the room and they started counting the money, and they they pushed this apparatus in the direction that the money was coming as opposed to what the fans wanted or what uh or i mean what the real fans wanted or or the sport they just they drove it towards the money and that's when it just got to be too much for the people that liked like kurt said the story and it just it went the direction of what the the visual optic show that they put on right yeah, that was, I didn't even know like they they faked the death of Hawk on the on there, and they they were having him go into like like he was a an alcoholic and drug user in real life, and they they brought that into a storyline as the character, and they said Animal Animal and Hawk just walked away after that. They said it was too much for him. Yeah, oh. yeah. They faked they faked the what did you say they faked the death? Yeah, they had um they had a third member come on to the the Legion of Doom, you know, Animal and Hawk. And um, he like they had him behind a curtain, and all you could see was the silhouette. And they said Hawk was committing suicide. He was jumping off a ladder, and then the <laughs> the character, the third character, crawled up there to save him. But then he pushed him and killed him. And then um, because he wanted to take his place. And then yeah, and animal, animal and Hawk just. And then there was like things where Vince McMahon was being like openly racist and stuff, and it was just like I remember that, just, yeah. As a as a character, and it was just oh, it's just horrible, yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, the storyline writing there, I, I, and I'll have to double check this if I heard it was true or not. But like, I, I'm thinking of it today because Bob Mold released a new record today, and if I remember right, he was a he he did some writing for WWF. He like, oh wow, for music. And I mean, I think I, I know I heard this, so you know maybe I'm just lying, but. Or you know, mis- or misthinking, but I- I'm pretty certain Bob Mold was like a WWF storyline writer. Bob Mold. Why don't I know that name? He's Husker Do Sugar. Um, Sugar, yeah. yeah. Oh, Husker Do, yeah. Okay, that rings a bell. I don't know him as an artist personally, but he he probably, he probably wrote all the interviews where they did it in a husky voice. That was yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that too. <laughs> who was the who was the main one that used to 
Oh, it was Hulk. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Hulk Hogan used to get that husky voice on every Sunday with the yellow. Yeah. Uh, well, nothing <laughs> but Macho Man, another guy that died. Yes. Randy Savage. Yeah. Macho Man, Randy Savage. And I mean to tell you, there's going <laughs> to be some heads rolling. <laughs> now, I, I meant we talked a little about WrestleMania. Do you guys remember when AWA tried to counter WrestleMania with Wrestle Rock? No. Yeah. It was 1986, and they held it in the Metrodome. That's and, a rock. And yep, I do I remember that. Yep. You guys got to go on YouTube and look at the Wrestle Rock video. The I'm writing it down. The wrestlers did a rap. It was after the, it was, it was a basic <laughs> takeoff of the Super Bowl shuffle. It was the Wrestle Rock Rumble. And it's just, <laughs> oh, man. it is oh. the worst. It is, you know, I'm Greg Gagne, and I'm in a rage. I want, Bar- Br- uh, Bruiser Brody and I want him in a cage. You know, it's just like, oh my god. And and they're like, you know, it's like a video, <laughs> so they're like showing them, and like half the wrestlers are like literally reading the lyrics like from a sheet as they're you know oh god wrapping them. And is it worse than watching Jim McMahon do the Super Bowl shuffle with like Walter Payton? Oh yeah, it's it's worse than the Super Bowl <laughs> shuffle. <It's>, oh man. <laughs> And then you remember that the, what was it? The WCW started to take on the WWF, and they had what was what were the two shows that were both on? Was they both on Monday night or Tuesday night? I don't remember. Was it like really late? Like was it, or was it like prime time? Because I remember WWF started to do some like late night, fr- like it was. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but the, well, it was kind of like 9 p.m. They both had their shows. Like one was Wrestling Raw, wasn't it? One was oh Raw. yeah, that's a little after. Yeah, uh, no, I, maybe it was. I can't remember the. God, I have to look up the names now. But it was their two. They had the two shows on at the same time, yeah, like, like Nitro that. and Raw. Was it? Like yeah, something were, like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and then. And that, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say like when um, so when we were watching AWA, I remember. Somehow we got a channel that had Texas wrestling, world class championship wrestling, and that was like <laughs> that was all the Von Erichs. If you if, if you yes. want to hear a tragic wrestling story, I mean, yeah. every Von Erich, I think, except Kevin, I think, is still alive, but I mean, all died from suicide and drugs and you know, injuries yeah. and whatnot. I remember that family, I remember but, them, but that was great because that was like the one thing I'd had against the AWA was like the Saturday or the Sunday morning shows, it would be like, okay, mad dog. Michonne is wrestling Kenny J. You know, it was always, the, it was always the star versus the, the ham and egger as Bobby uh, Heenan would call them. But oh, like, Bobby uh, Heenan, there's another one. Yeah. <laughs> world-class championship wrestling would actually show like good matches. And that's where like a lot of people like Kamala, uh, the Ugandan giant who just passed away too. Um, yeah, keeping up the thread of dead wrestlers, I guess. And uh, <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, they just had so many people would... come through, and they, they would always show like good matches too. So, yeah. yeah. And then that's—I was going to say—that's like wrestling got kind of like boxing, where there was all the. So there's the WCW had Steve Austin, but he could never wrestle The Rock because The Rock was WWF, WWE. Yeah. So it was like mm-hmm. the best—the best guys could never wrestle because they weren't even in the same show or whatever you know right yeah so what else we got here um oh so kurt has uh let's hear your um 
I don't know. Did everybody have a chance to see that Andre the Giant HBO special? It was that really was good. awesome. I loved it. It was, it was very good. And Kurt, you have a little, I think you have a little Andre the Giant's story. Yeah, don't my, fa- my family was returning home from a vacation and it was. Well, at- hold on. Hold- Kurt, hold on. We got to give her a little disclaimer. It's time for another edition of Kurt's Crazy Tales. So my family was flying in and uh, from a vacation at and it must have been the same night then that uh, a WWF at the time event was taking place. Um, I had walked and this would have been God, I got to remember the years because, OK, there was a storyline in WWF where Andre the Giant got suspended from the league because he he wouldn't he wouldn't fight big John stud or King Kong Bundy. So Bobby Heenan was all pissed about that. And so they got him suspended. And what really was going on was Andre was filming. Um, oh, geez. I can't even think of the name of the Prin- movie now. Not princess bride. Yeah. Princess bride. Princess bride. Yeah. And he had some surgeries cause you know, his health was declining, but anyway, so then at that time, uh, captain Lou Albano finds, <laughs> this wrestler in Japan and calls him uh, the giant machine. And it was Andre the giant in a mask. So he was just like coming back into the WWF <laughs> as this masked wrestler and, um, and Bobby, he, and it was, it, they did such a great job with it. Cause everybody, like all the announcers are like, well, yeah, he's really large. And you know, they're not letting on that. They think it's Andre and Bobby. He just screaming. Who else can that be? He's like, you know, that's <laughs> and like nobody ever was like, well, you think so? You know, it was just, it was. Like, and so anyway, this was at a time when Andre the Giant was out of the league, and I see him at an airport. Um, first, I actually walked right by him, and my brother's like, uh, "You just walked by Andre the Giant," and I'm like, "Yeah," and I look, and then there he is. He's standing up against the, um, against the thing, and. Um, and then I started looking around, and then I see Tito Santana, and there's like crowd, a whole big crowd around him. Mean Gene Okerlund, there's a huge big crowd around them. And then um, Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy were standing, and they were, and I was still kind of a believer in wrestling at the time that you know oh, it could be real, it could be you know. So you know, like they were the heels, so they were like scary, and it was weird. I went <laughs> up to them, and they're like the friendliest guys. They're like grabbing me and like showing how strong, you know. They're like just having fun you know i was one of the only people by them because everybody else was by tito santana and and then so anyway i finally andre the giant is like sitting off uh um well we had gotten our bags so it was outside so he was like sitting literally all by himself nobody around and i'm like trying to work up the nerve to go up to him to ask for an autograph and i start walking and i get mm, maybe 25 30 feet and he just looks up, and just shakes his head, no. <laughs> oh, so then I okay, then I turned around, and you know, Mike had mentioned watching that uh, documentary, and you know, I, of course, I was crushed as a kid at the time or whatever, but you know, he was, he struggled, you know, it was a, he yeah, he was a, just got off a plane, he's in, you know, always in terrible health and terrible pain, and you know, he's like. That's probably like the first time he was alone, alone for like, you know, a long time. So, you know, I can't understand why he didn't want to be bothered once again. They said flying had to be torture for him because like they said on the documentary, he was 
he was three times too big for any plane seat, you know, so it just yeah. had to be torture for him, yeah. Yeah, and he, yeah. and that's all he did was travel and, you know, wrestle, and, uh, yeah, his his body was taking a toll. and His health was totally gone at the end there. That's why they started having him just stand around and yell at the other guys, and then they're like, that's why I think they had him leave because, you know, banned him. It's just like he, he just couldn't wrestle anymore. Yeah. Like, let's, let's ban him or whatever, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I got to see Andre. So, yeah, I, you know, I literally – literally seen one of the world's largest celebrities <laughs> so, so i have to ask you kurt who's whose autograph was it more intimidating to get from um alice from the brady bunch or andre the giant which one was more intimidating <laughs> well alice i wrote to a lot of mine i i wrote to okay and, and uh back in the like early internet time there was like this little group i, I don't know what happened to them but it was like we'd share uh, like addresses and stuff because you know different people would know like okay this is where you can kind of reach this person and then and there was it was kind of a cool group because it was like um we talk with each other about okay so who you know who's legit signing who's like who has ghost signers who has like rubber stamps or whatever like you know who personalizes things and you know we'd match them up and everything to see if they're and so, it, yeah that was fun so I, I i used to get a whole bunch of addresses and you know that's that's how i got a lot of them and i'd hand write out you know a long letter wouldn't type or anything and um yeah it paid off and I, I, I got probably three out of ten that i'd send to get back and you know that was that was fun that was when the mail was fun because it'd be like oh who, who, who who am I getting today? You know, John Larroquette, maybe, or, uh, you know, Tim Conway. So, yeah. And that has been another edition of Kurt's Crazy Tales. Okay, okay, so that was an edition of Kurt's Crazy Tales. But, Jim, I heard you also have a crazy tale too i i don't have a sounder for it so i'll just say it's now a new edition of jim's crazy tales 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 sorry jim that's the best i can do uh take it away well my dad was a printer and um in the early part of his career and i wanted him to tell this story because it's it's funny as a family story but anyway um my my mother's father um <laughs> his name is george and he he was a working man, a working working man, and he he was kind of a oh a guy that he'd take a lot of crap from everybody because he was kind of a a putz uh, doing everything in his life except for he was a scratch golfer, but he believed that wrestling was real, and my dad was kept on trying to tell him George. It's not. It's not real. He, this is all scripted. He goes, "Oh, the hell with you guys! It isn't." You know, it was an argument. So my dad was a printer, and he used to print the programs for these events on Sunday. But they'd have to print them <laughs> like a, like a week in advance. So he would get all of the um, the winners of all these wrestling matches, like a week before the match took place so that he could get them printed in time to be on this program when they handed out on, on the Sunday. So my dad would just, uh, you know, print stories in these things about, about my grandpa. And 
you know, just giving them crap about certain things and hiding it in these programs in different spots so that <laughs> just to kind of give him the, the hint that these matches were, you know, scripted. And it was just kind of a funny, a funny way that he learned that this stuff was a, as much of an art as it was a sport. <laughs> that's, but, that's crazy. He sort of took his to Vegas with all the odds that he had to predict the winner. I'm Greg Gagne and I'm in a rage. I want Brody and I want him in a cage. I'm playing drop kick will make him see double. I'm grinding up at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Woo! Wrestle Rock. I'm Kurt Henning and Big Scott Hall. Tag team champs will take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball dumbos. We'll smear those bushes to the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So that was the infamous uh, Russell Rock video, and um, <laughs> if you have a chance to see that on YouTube, uh, I think I highly don't recommend it. No. Well, what do you think, Jim? I mean, well, I just it depends upon you know what kind of mood you're in. I I watched that, and it it's one of those things that's so bad it's good. So I think it's fun to watch because it. You know, it that that's what the that's what the early and mid eighties were like. I mean, that kind of quality stuff. Yeah, and I like the uh, I think the old the old white guys uh, rapping in that video. They're um, oh, they basically thinking saying they just think rhyming is rapping, so they're just they're just saying nursery rhymes basically. Yeah, that's, <laughs> just, that's exactly what they're doing. And there's no there's no like production quality to it or anything, which maybe maybe makes it even better, but. It's so bad. It's like the Super Bowl shuffle we were talking about last time. Kind of concept borrowed from that. And I like how Jerry Lawler, they always had him as being from Alabama. And you yeah. Can, he looks like a country guy and he starts rapping and it's like he just gives up halfway through. And it's just like he doesn't even finish the line or anything. Yeah. And Jerry Lawler, <laughs> don't forget, he's the guy that, you know, that uh, beat up Andy Kaufman, if you believe. Some of the stories that were that it was scripted, and others say that it wasn't. But I don't know. Jerry Lawler himself said, "Look, this is all, that was all written." So that's something to look at too, if you want. So, like Kurt was talking about, Bob Mold, the singer um, from Husker Du, was a writer for the WWE. And um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave us today with a Bob Mold Husker Du song where he sings about a famous 1970s sitcom. I think you'll recognize this one. All right? So, I'm listening. <laughs> well, I just wanted to thank everybody. That our last, um, The ratings of our last episode went through the roof, and I could tell some people were binge um, listening to every podcast also from the numbers. So I just love to just like to thank everybody for the listenership and tell all your friends and family. And uh, everybody stay safe, and we'll see you next week or next week. Yes. Yes. I'm, can I just throw in real quick something, Mike? Yep. Um, that, um, you know, when he says that, when Mike says that, that in, in all seriousness, that, that we appreciate that and listenership and all that, that is really a hard thing. You know, we can't believe how much love we've gotten on this. I know I can't. And so it just, it just encourages us to do more and better things. So the more that the more people that we see are tuning in, the better and funnier and you know more uh, input we're going to have in this show. And I I hope you feel the same, Mike, because this.
this is just really fun for us to do. Yep, because we're uh, we're definitely not getting paid much to do it. So tune it out of love, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So all right, sorry, I had to go on that on that monologue diatribe, whatever you want to call it. All right, so I'm gonna leave you with a little uh Bob Mould singing a little the theme song to Mary Tyler Moore. So let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh -huh.